Welcome to the Boiled Owl Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting, where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live and lots of ways to live sober. I'm Don. You are, aren't you? I am. You're Sam. Sam, I am. Sam, you am. Good to see you, Don. It's good to see you. It's been a while. It has been a while. We both have been through it a bit lately. We've been through some stuff, and that gave us the idea for this special episode of The Boiled Owl. The Boiled Owl. Surgery special. Special. Really special. The, we, <laughs> we need we need fanfare for this special because what's happened is that in the past month I've had surgery, and about uh, six or seven weeks ago I had surgery, and we have lots of guests. So why don't we go around and give our sobriety date and what surgery you had? <laughs> because <laughs> this is entirely different. Instead of like sharing our um, sobriety date and where we got sober, we're going to share our sobriety date and where we had surgery. (laughs) (laughs) I got sober in 1994 and I I had a series of strokes and none of them, thank God, have I had any deficit from. So I'm okay. I don't have any lasting problems with it. But they decided to do carotid artery surgery, which was quite an ordeal. I'm pretty well recovered from that now. It's been three weeks. All right. My sobriety date was 2003, and then I had a hiccup and uh, reset in 2012. I just had lumbar fusion about uh, six or seven weeks ago. I still have another uh, six months or so of recovery. I'm Doug, and I'm an alcoholic, and my sobriety date is the 7th of May, 1980, and I had colon cancer surgery about a year ago, and most recently, about four weeks ago, I had hernia repair surgery, which also was no fun. Well, hi, everybody. My name is Blair. I'm an alcoholic, and my sobriety date is 1994. I had surgery two years ago in the summer of 15 for colon cancer. And I'd pull up my shirt and show everybody my... Oh, that's it? okay. Yeah. Better than yours. The, thing, the, her- the hernia, but they said they're not going to mess with it because they can pop it in and out. But it's a fun, it's a fun, you know, party trick. <laughs> so after my surgery, I had chemo. Now I've had a recurrence. I just found out a couple months ago, and I'm doing chemo in hopes to have more surgery. And you're in the process of having chemo now. Yes. Yeah. What we wanted to do is get together until we, three of us, uh, Doug, Sam, and I got together and talked <laughs> talked about the trauma of going through surgery, and it helped me a lot because I was, it had just happened to me, and I was pretty well reeling from it and still suffering the effects. I was in pain, still on a lot of pain meds, and we're still on a pain med, but uh, we don't want to get into that, the specifics of it so much today as how do we use the program to help you through these traumatic times? How can we have serenity in the face of calamity? Which I found 
now that I've gotten away from it, I found that I had quite a bit of. You know, the ways that I used the program were that, like uh, having an MRI. Well, I had an MRI years ago, and you know, you, they shove you into a coffin-like tube. There's, the tube is like inches away from your face, and you can't move, and they put uh, earplugs in, which barely uh, cut the noise of the thing, which sounds like... The, I said when I came out of that thing, that is the worst music I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> it was and just screaming loud as possible as it possibly can, on and on and on. It went on for about twenty minutes, and when I did it the first time, I had to. I, I took Ativan or something like that, uh, Quaaludes, <laughs> to calm down. So I could, because I was so anxious about it and worried about uh, claustrophobia. But uh, this time, I meditated. And anytime the anxiety would rise as I was getting ready to do it, I said, okay, breathe. I focused on my breathing. I relaxed. And uh, it rolled me into the boom tube. It started up. And as far as I was concerned, I could... I was thinking, what I was doing was visualizing I was laying on a pier on a starry night and just looking up at the sky with a lot of dump trucks and earth movers <laughs> driving around in the background. But as far as I was concerned, I'm just lying on a pier looking at the sky. And it was really no problem. I had no problem to do that. And I did that going into surgery right at the beginning as it, it was it was very anxiety producing. You know, I knew that the surgery, one of the uh, side effects of having uh, this carotid artery surgery is you can actually produce a stroke. And it was scary. But that wasn't what was so hard going into it because I was determined to do it. It was like when they were putting needles in my arm and searching for veins and hitting nerves. And at the same time, I had three people sticking me all over the place. People were coming in asking me, now what are you here for? You know, and at one point, they were like driving a spike into my arm is what it felt like. And I just said, I'm here for neck surgery. Leave me alone. It's like, well, I can't talk to you people while, you, while being tortured. Once they stopped, I breathed. I tried to I remain calm as I could. I, it helped. It helped. The hardest thing for the surgery for me was the morphine that they gave me. They gave me morphine. I know that a lot of people really like it. For me, it was a perk. <laughs> I thought, oh God, look, I'm sick enough. I get to get, I get, to get morphine. I never. Where's that button? Yeah, let me let me check off the box. I <laughs> That's one I didn't do. I wish. I know, I saw, I visited you when you had surgery before, right after Blair, and, and you had a button that you would hit, and, and you, would, you would relax very well right after you hit the button. Uh, <laughs> Everybody it, loves a button. <laughs> I, I, I experienced the button the first time with my first back surgery back in 2004, and I, I knew then, it's like, okay, I guess I'm an addict too because I'm lying in bed and I'm pressing the button repeatedly because I don't want to go five seconds with 
with missing the dose that they're going to let me have. Preemptively. <laughs> yes. Preemptive strike. Exactly. Well, that's why they got it timed. Well, with, with me, that into account already. <laughs> with me, it was an injection in uh, in my arm, and it was a burn going in, and my arm burned for two days afterwards. I had all kinds of sweats, and uh, then began shaking uncontrollably. My legs were kicking around. Everybody, all the nurses on staff came in there and were trying to figure out what was. I was having a reaction to it, so. Mm-hmm. I thought I was going to die right then. And now, once all that was over, did you ask for more? <laughs> no. I want No. You are never going to make it as an addict, Don. Make it a double. I guess I'm going to. Please give me a shot of liquor, but I don't want any of this morphine. Oh, no. It was god-awful. You know what it reminded me of, though, was the only other time that I had a reaction like that to drugs was I was in a bar. A, a girl offered me a, well, I guess it's about a tablespoon of MDA, which now, what's the called? Ecstasy. ecstasy, on a Bowie knife. And <laughs> and so <laughs> I said, you know, <laughs> strange powder on a Bowie knife being offered by a beautiful girl. Okay, yeah, definitely. I'm in and <laughs> snorted it. And, and then you asked, what will it do to me? <laughs> and, well, I, did, I found out. I went blind. I couldn't yeah. see. I said, I'm going to have to get out of here. And she kind of led me out. And it was about uh, 30 minutes there where I thought I might die. My heart was racing. And uh, why in the world would anyone snort some drug? I just don't understand my behavior. I'd say that's alcoholism, I guess, because it's like if it's going to do something to me, I'm going to do it. So it were, this morphine shot reminded me of that because it was the same thing. I had this terrible reaction to it. So it it was a traumatic time, and I'm glad I got through on the other side. The last thing I want to say about it, as far as how recovery goes, I, I, I kind of lost all touch with my higher power during the whole thing. It's hard to meditate when you're on drugs. Meditation leads to sleep. (laughs) And I would just fall out. I just lost all contact. But I did find that I was carried by AA and the people in AA and the people who came to visit me. And it was really remarkable. That's, I determined, was where God is. Is when all those people. What about you, Sam? Um, You know, with, uh, with listening to you talk, Don, Several of surgeries have come to mind for me. Not only did I go through the, the lumbar fusion almost two months ago, but about uh, 18 months ago, I went through a, a ruptured appendix and then a subsequent hospital stay after that repair for infections. It was a rough time. And then before that, I had, I've gone through uh, knee surgery, foot surgery, and back surgery, all in recovery. Before that, I had a hernia repaired long before my alcoholism had kicked in good and strong. Mm -hmm. So the things that I've experienced, particularly last year and this year, I think the one effect that has shown up for me in this so strongly that is is absolutely a result of this program is my ability to let go and allow myself to be cared for. That, and that was particularly strong during the appendix time. 
because I, the state that I was in was, I mean, the, the, the physical pain and just uh, state that I was in during that time was significantly more than what I've gone through with this, this back surgery. I knew there was nothing I could do. All I could do was be cared for. Well, it's kind of hard to accept. In, in some ways, it's kind of hard to allow I, yourself to be so pitiful. <laughs> well, I, I get, I get that, but it's the, helpless is what it is. Well, it is helpless, but mm-hmm. but I, I don't know what the difference was. The the appendix thing and, and the subsequent infection was a life threatening thing, whereas the back surgery is not. I mean, technically, there's risk, but still. Right. And I, I, I just think that during that appendix time, I was so focused on one simple thing, and that is just be here. It was not a fight. It wasn't a distasteful thing of being helpless, of of letting go of that sense of control. The only time that I recall that was when I got defeated, I got broken, Yeah, was when they had to take me down during the second stay in the hospital and take me down for a CT scan. And the transfer from the bed to the CT on cradle was excruciating. Right. When they wheeled me back upstairs, they gave me something, and I don't know what it was. I think it might have been Ativan. Mm-hmm. But they gave me something. I just completely zoned out. I was, I, was, I was broken during that one. But I had so many people show up, most of them from my, uh, from my recovery connections. And I, and I was in the hospital two different stays for about a week each. And then I was at home in between and, and after and I had so many people show up in so many ways to take care of me during that time. This go-round with the surgery, it wasn't a life-threatening situation. So I guess there weren't as many people who were afraid they were going to lose me. <laughs> so, uh, so I was not inundated, but I had all the help that I needed and more. I had people offering, to br- not just offering, but bringing food to, so that my mother and, and, and husband didn't have to cook, right. who were just able to show up in ways that I didn't know to ask for. That was there. Now, this go-round, the pain meds were a completely different experience for me. With each surgery that I've had in recovery, I've gotten off the pain meds as quickly as I could, particularly after those early surgeries when I realized that on the pain meds, I have a hard time with the physical chills that I get whenever I feel like I'm being genuine with contact with my higher power. When I'm praying or meditating, listening, and I'm getting them right now because I'm telling you the truth, I get chills. When I'm on pain meds, I don't feel them. And so last year, you know, I got off the pain meds as quickly as I could. Now, that was several weeks because of what I was going through, but I got off them. This go-round, I didn't know what I was in for, and what I kept on hearing was stay ahead of the pain, stay ahead of the pain. The surgery that you've had is going to feel like I parked a bus in your back. Right. And I'm like, all right, so I'm going to take these meds as directed, as prescribed, and I'm staying ahead of the pain. Then one day, I was taking a pain med four times a day, and so I had taken my 5 a.m. dose and gone back to sleep. At 11 a.m., I took a dose, and I was high. That really messed with me. With that, I realized I'm high. I also realized I don't like this. Talk about a psychic change. Hey. Right. Because 
long time ago, I would have been all over that. Hey, <laughs> I can get by. I can, I, can, I, can, I can take another one in another hour. Oh, yeah. Why not now? Take um, one and let's listen to some music. Yeah, totally. But, you know, I was, I was walking around my house. I was floating. And I don't remember the specifics of that period when I was high. But I do know that I reached out to my sponsor. I don't know if I did it later that evening or, or during the high or whatever. But I let him know that I was high. My meds got me high, mm-hmm. and I'm going off of them. The withdrawals from that were really rough. I went through two days of chills and just, well, feeling like shit. Well, this is what's scary for people in recovery and surgery, because you can't have surgery without pain meds. Well, you can, but, but I'm not signing up for <laughs> I'm not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just that... The, the pain meds were my greatest concern this go around. And you, you now you've relapsed before on drugs, right? Yes. Yeah. That so, was on diet pills. That was on, um, but I was never, I was never a pill popper. I mean, you know, now some people offered me. Usually it was powder. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Matter of fact, I don't think I ever took a pill. I know, I, I never was a pill popper. Do you ever have um, any powder off of a Bowie knife? No, <laughs> mine was usually off of a mirror. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Or the back of that, the toilet, <laughs> some dingy bar. Yeah. <laughs> it was really unsettling to go through that. And and the thing, too, that, that hit me was that week, that was a Monday that I got high off those meds and then went off them. That entire week was a reliving of my hangover days from the end of my alcohol use. Because I, you know, I'm self-employed, so I'm emailing clients because that's the most, that's the only way that I can contact them and stay as far away from them as possible. I was doing the same type of contact. I really wasn't talking to people in the rooms or in recovery. I was texting. There were two people in recovery that I was, that I actually spoke with on the phone. But I just was like, socially, I'm, I'm out. I'm not dealing with anybody. And I just, uh, I became worthless. And what I got from that experience was, this is waiting for me if I drink again. There is no way I can be self-employed and be active uh, in alcoholism or drug use. Right. Um, it just won't work. I will, I will make no money whatsoever. I will lose every client I've got. Then I'll have to get a job, and I'm sure I won't show up for it. Um, <laughs> and kind of bleak. <laughs> so you're free now. Of all uh, yes, I have been off of pain meds now for uh, three weeks or so. The other unsettling thing that I've experienced during this was not something I. Ex- I mean, I had blackouts in my drinking, but that was like I like I knew that I had blacked out. I knew I did right. not have memories of what happened that night, but I have lost memories from being on these pain meds to where I'm sitting down at coffee with a friend, you know, a week later and she brings up, so I didn't think that I had even seen her since my surgery during all this time. My grandmother died too. And I, so going through that was a rough spot with all of this. And my God, AA showed up for me with that, but the, the memory losses and she brings up something about my grandmother that I had told her. I I couldn't I couldn't place how she knew that other than me telling her, but I couldn't remember telling her. Ditto. <laughs> I had that too. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so the, drug, the, the drugs took you out of your life. Yes. And, and they made it so that, you know, I, I, I got a pass on this because this was, you know, this was just the situation I was in and, and all of this was, right. was required. But it gave me also an experience of keeping it green, as we call it in AA. Yeah. You know, I, I have not been in that place, even when I relapsed five years ago. I was not in that place with my uh, with my drinking and using. It's been 14 years since I was in, in a place like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you, Doug? What's your experience? Oh, part of what this brought back for me was an experience I had when I was four or five years sober. Uh, I was so concerned about medication that I needed to have my tonsils taken out. And so I had it done on local anesthesia. Now, I don't recommend that to anybody. They were going to give me Valium, and I was so afraid of taking Valium that I, I told the doctor, I'm, I'm a recovering alcoholic, so I, I would rather do this under local anesthesia. So he did it. And I was in excruciating pain for eight days. After seven days, I ran out of pain meds, and I called and got a refill on my prescription. But I also, after uh, seven days, I hadn't been to a meeting, and so I remember going to a, to a meeting, this was in San Diego, and I'd not been to that meeting before. And, and I kind of made a plea for help that I had been on pain medication and I was really still in a lot of pain and I, and I kind of needed to reconnect. And people just ignored me. People shied away from me. They, wow. they it was almost, I felt like a pariah. I, it was a, an intensely uncomfortable experience. Because you I was were totally isolated, I was totally alone, and it, and I. And, but why did they shy away? I think we're so afraid as a community of drugs and medicine in general that it was it was scary, and that that's one of the reasons I like the idea of having this podcast about pain medication. Is you know what we are so afraid of that kind of isolation, that mm-hmm. kind of of temptation. I guess that mm-hmm. we I, I recoil. Right. Sort of like recoiling from a hot flame. I, I, but there's a huge difference between taking pain medication when you're in pain and just taking pain medication. And the boundary that you talk about when you're kind of transitioning through the intense pain where it's required to, I'm feeling a little bit better. It still really hurts now and then, but mm-hmm. and so pain meds are important. But oh my gosh, there's a that mental aspect. I don't think that's. That's the issue. The issue for me would be, I still have my half my prescription left of, I think it was oxycodone. I, it was either oxycodone or, I don't know what it was. It was something really good, but yeah, yeah. You know, uh, uh, if I were to pick that up now, I still have a little discomfort from the hernia surgery that I have. I get a pinch every now and again here and there, but not enough to take a pain med. So if I, I know absolutely that if I picked up a pain med now. It's not for pain. Yeah. It's, to, it's to get the effect. <clears throat> so to, to, to differentiate between the intent, the intent of taking the pain med. Yeah. Is, yeah. The in, and intention matters. Well, I my first surgery was rather major, and and kind of you were asking about how does that relate to your AA experience. I frankly knew that I needed to take some action. I had not. I had had a 
colonoscopy when I was maybe 52 years old. And by, by that time, I was like 65. And I knew I was kind of due, but I was putting it off until I couldn't put it off and I wound up in the emergency room. You know, I almost didn't make it into the into surgical recovery. And, and there mm-hmm. are an awful lot of alcoholics who never make it in because they, they're just too comfortable with the status quo, I guess. And mm-hmm. drinking is what's normal. So I don't like doctors. I don't like going to hospitals. I don't like any of that stuff. And I was afraid enough that I didn't take the action I knew that I should have taken. And it, it could have killed me. I wound up spending two weeks in the hospital. My wife was there every single... The only time my wife left my bedside was when she went to feed the dogs, which was twice a day. She slept in the room. I think I froze her out. I was burning up during the two weeks that I was in the hospital. The first week I was pretty much out of it completely. The morphine button. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't remember much of it at all. In fact, it's kind of disturbing because I was a blackout drinker from the day I started to drink at age 15. And there are huge, well, not huge chunks, but there's a lot of chunks of my and my, and my memory back then that are gone. And, and it is disturbing in a surgical environment, in a medical environment like that, to realize uh, my wife, she'll ask me questions about being in the hospital or subsequent even to being in the hospital. And I have no recollection of it whatsoever. And it's a little bit, that's very scary to, yes. to, to feel that. So, well, actually, general anesthesia does that knock you right out. As well, yeah, I mean, yeah, not just the then, but then you still have. Uh, I mean, I'm have, I'm still having word finding problems after, and I think it's from the general anesthesia. My most recent surgery was it was kind of through the same gut area. Uh, I left the hospital after I think the day after surgery, which was probably a little early, but it was very painful. But I was only on pain meds for I think five or six days. After that, and I tapered off also during the process. But the first few days were like they were kind of a blur, and, mm-hmm. and I don't like that feeling. I don't like not being aware of my of my surroundings. And again, if you're in pain, take your pain meds and yeah. take them as directed. And if you know, if, if I ever got to the point where I was feeling like I wasn't on a pain regimen, that's the time to do what you did: pick up the phone, call my sponsor, and say. Think I'm doing something I'm not supposed to be doing. How does this sound to you? And, uh, and, and get back into recovery. I'm fairly new to the Greensboro area. I've only been up here about a year and a half or so, and uh, I've also had tremendous support from the men in the men's meeting. It's, it's been very gratifying to to be accepted the way I have been, and to be able to talk to people about my feelings of recovery through the surgery, as well as recovery from alcoholism, but. It kind of harkens to what is my favorite part of the program is the, the fellowship involved in it and, and the feeling of being a part of rather than being apart from, which is what occurred to me when I had my tonsils taken out. I felt distinctly apart from, and I don't like to be there. Mm-hmm. It, what I'm hearing you say is almost like you were shunned yeah, um, really at was. that it's time. What, that's the way I felt. You know, I, I have not experienced this, and I'm also bullheaded enough that if someone tries to dish that shit out at me, I'm going to tell them to talk to their sponsor. That was also 25 years <laughs> and that, ago. Yeah, exactly. So I think we've grown a little as a community. It was, you know, I think people are a lot more tolerant these days than they were back then. Also.
also. Well, and you know, one of the things also that... Maybe, uh, maybe just aware. <laughs> no, not so much tolerant as aware. Well, aware, but uh, I am going to follow my, my doctor's medical advice. And he is fully aware of my condition. Right. You let them know where you are and what's up with you, and then you follow their advice. <laughs> yes. Blair, what about you? Well, in the essence of full disclosure, I am on drugs. You still are, <laughs> yes. Yeah, man. I popped a couple before I came over. Yeah. It's for nausea, vomiting, and what have you. Um, You're in the middle of it. Uh, right now, the the chemo, yeah. But it's, it's far better this time than last. But I think about it in listening to what everybody has said so far. You know, it was the, the <clears throat> two years ago, I lost conscious contact with God as I understand him because um, I was just so out of it for so long. I couldn't even uh, get enough to pray together. I remember one time <clears throat> I'd lost so much weight and I got out of the shower and I got a big mirror right across from it. I <laughs> looked at the poor skinny white bald naked man <laughs> with no ass and I'm yeah. thinking, <laughs> didn't they say even if your ass falls off, get to a meeting. <laughs> that's, all, that's, all I can, that's all I can think of when I was pathetic. I'm like, oh my God, I better get to a meeting. <laughs> your ass has fallen off. It has. My ass has fallen off. <laughs> it really has. <laughs> well, you, you almost died in that round <clears throat> of chemo. It, I mean, it was, it was rough. It was a little on the rough side. So this time is... Uh, it's obviously much better, but what I think one of the biggest things, too, that I learned in hindsight and in reflection is, and as I regained my strength and recuperated and people started talking and they were more open to me about how they perceived me and what they thought about the process, I realized the impact I have on others around me. You know, because I thought about, you know, when I was drinking and I'd say, well, you know, if you don't like the way I drink, don't hang out with me. You don't need to be my friend. You don't need to hang out with me. You know, I'm have very that isolationist kind of uh, view and that, you know, you make the choice, not me. You know, if you don't like me and you don't like what well, I'm an asshole drinking. It's not me, it's you. That's right, you know, <laughs> assholes and arms. <laughs> so I realized, yeah, the impact uh, on loved ones and friends and, and sponsors and everything. I wasn't going through this journey alone. There was a lot of people who were on it, you know, genuinely or peripherally or living through it vicariously, realizing that, you know, I've been healthy all my life and all of a sudden this happens. It was just kind of bizarre. But it's it was more in hindsight, I, I think, in the reflection, because as I went through it, I just lost all contact. This time has been, since August, so about three, four months, has been a lot different. I've been a lot more with it. I've been able to pray. Uh, I've been able to get out, like today. Again, my, all my family are going to come for the holidays. And this is the miracle of the program. I mean, when I was active, my, my family didn't even like it when I <laughs> blew into town and visited them. <laughs> you know, oh my God, they're like, oh no, lock the doors, put the silver away. <laughs> right. And now, well, that's not a <laughs> cry, to be quite honest. Now, they're traveling a thousand miles to be with me when I'm sick. Yeah. I mean, talk about a 180, talk about black and white. It's just, it's it's unbelievable. And I am just the most blessed man living. I mean, I truly am. 
I've got so many friends and family and loved ones that care about me and express their love. I, I think this is, you know, I, I learned uh, I learned how to tell a man I love him. And it's, you know, it's genuine and it's sincere and I get it back. And this is something that I've never had before. And it's not, I'm not going to go, not my father or my son. I'm talking about other men in my life. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's the gifts of this program that allow me to love and be loved. And I think both Sam and Doug talked earlier about the helplessness, which I've certainly felt, and for the first time in my life, just 100% helpless. I had to rely on somebody else, 100%. Mm-hmm. And there was, there's no way around it, man. It's like, okay, here I am. Please wipe my butt, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. because I can't do it. So it just is what it is. And, and thank God it's the blessings of the program, that the humility that have allowed me to think of it in a way that you know, I need help, and when I'm able, I'll return it. And I have returned it before, and it's, you know, it's okay. It's okay to be helpless. And you know what? Some people really like to help, and I've found <laughs> along this journey, actually, some people are offended if you don't let them help. They're like, <laughs> but it is the South. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Like, no, I don't need that. And they're like, they're like hmm, a little indignant. They're like, well, what can I do for you? I need to do something. So it's, uh, I'm very honored. And I'm very flattered with the people that have taken time to express their love and their care and their concern in all kinds of ways. And it, certainly not just physical or hugging or food, but just the prayer and the, the light and the love. And it's, uh, I, I'm just, I'm truly a lucky man. I'm glad, glad that you decided to do this today mm-hmm. and bring us all together to talk about some of the, the aspects and the trials and tribulations of health when you haven't had it necessarily before, or even if you have, how do you incorporate that health scare into, you know, into my life? How do I incorporate it into my program to be bolstered up by God and by my sponsor and by my loved ones? How do I bring it all together into a, a, it's kind of a new continuum. It's, It's a new part of my journey. I mean, cancer has been a game changer for me. So, but, you know, um, I'm, just taking it one day at a time, and sometimes I take it one minute at a time, just, just like the program says. That you learn that in the program, and right and that's one of the that's one of the skills, one of the tools that AA gave me yes. to allow me to get through some of the difficulties and the the calamity to not pile on what I call dog pile on the rabbit from the old Warner Brothers <laughs> cartoon of Bugs Bunny and the screen dog pile on the rabbit. I'll, 14 dogs pile on, which is what I like to do with problems in my life is collect them all together into a great big problem. And that's, you know, I kind of have one of my character defects is martyrdom or I don't like to really, I don't like to call it martyrdom (laughs) because that puts, makes it too noble. I I call it victimhood. Oh, (laughs) And it's real easy to do, and I think it's kind of naturally human to do, to go, well, this has happened to me, and you know, I've, got, I've, got I've had a stroke, and so now I've got to have surgery, and while I'm at it, the car's broken down, and not only that, but uh, I don't like the flavor of ice cream that I have, and not only <laughs> that, the political situation is shit, and not only that, and, you know, so I'll just like pile on all these things really even unrelated things and put them all together in a big bow so I can be really miserable. It's unnecessary. And the tool to combat that 
is the one day at a time or one moment at a time. What is the next thing? A friend of mine told me a long time ago that alcoholics are one of the few types of people that will get into a rut, move in, and furnish it. <laughs> I don't want to furnish my rut. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you're right. This, this program teaches us how to get out of that rut. It's real easy to, to feel sorry for oneself under these kinds of situations when they're really there's there's a potentially a life-threatening situation that occurs through no fault of our own how do you deal with that without getting the kind of the poor me's as well i've always heard of that poor, poor me. me poor me a drink poor me. Yeah. It's, it's, i can't stay in that position for long or it's very dangerous you know two things have come to mind in the past few minutes and they're both fellowship related and that is letting people give me help and relationships. First of all, relationships are something that I got from getting sober and working this program. I got some relationships back and then I've also gotten tons of new relationships and they're good and healthy relationships. I remember hearing a story from Ed Mutum who spoke at a fellowship hall conference. He's long dead now. He gave his full name, so that's why I did. And he talked about Clancy, who is in AA early history. As Ed was in a clubhouse and brand new, Clancy shook his hand and palmed him a $5 bill. And Ed was like, "What? I, I can't take this. I, I, and Clancy told him, shut up and take the damn money. I'm paraphrasing here, perhaps. You don't know why I gave you that. Don't take away the gift of the giving from the giver. And so one of the things that I have learned in these rooms, and particularly in those moments when I've needed help, is to let people give me the help, to let people give. That's why I said earlier on, it's hard. I know I had with the church that I'm a member of, they said, well, you want us to put you on caring friends, which means uh, that people will bring me meals and that kind of thing. I was going, well, no, you don't need to do that. I'm sorry. That's okay. And they did it anyway. <laughs> we got five days of meals. And beyond the fact that it helped my wife, who was having to do everything for a week, mm -hmm. uh, I was helpless. So it helped her because she, that was one thing she didn't have to worry about. She didn't have to worry about meals. But beyond that, just the experience of people coming to the house and dropping off stuff and, and feeling that they cared was really healing. Mm -hmm. And it takes humility to accept help. So there's yes, something that wants to fight mm -hmm. that in me. Yeah. And I had to give that up. It's probably easier when you're to the point that you need help wiping your ass to accept help because you can't do anything about it. But Well, you know, my experience, and I want to put this out there too. I mean, I'm sitting here with three guys who have decades of sobriety. Decades of experience in recovery and continuous sobriety. And I've got uh, 14 years of, of experience and five years of recovery. And there are hopefully some people who are, are listening to this who are early on in their journey as well in sobriety. And what I want to put out there is, thank God I can be awkward as hell in AA and people still love me. My accepting 
of the hospitality of friends, of the giving, was not pretty. <laughs> I got to practice it first with my sponsor who wanted to buy all of us, my mother, my, my husband and me, a, a you know, meal. And I'm like, I'm pissed off because now I've got to figure out what the hell I want to ask him for. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, 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 and so, but, but I did it. But one of the things that I have found over the years, and it's not just in regard to what, we, what we're talking about at the moment, but it's in, in so many ways within AA, is that I have experienced so much latitude, so much tolerance of the other members of AA for my awkwardness yes. in interacting with them. Yes. And so this stuff does not come naturally to us. No, it takes some work. <laughs> learned behavior. Yeah. And we've got this wonderful fellowship that is very forgiving while we're learning. Well, it. you know, I was like going, I don't know. If I was uh, had this uh, massive scar. It was unsightly on my neck. Must kind of looked like Frankenstein, uh, or like uh, I had been in a bar fight with someone with a broken with a Bowie knife. With a Bowie knife. <laughs> A terrible, terrible scar, and I was going, I don't know if I can go to, um, if I should go to a meeting. I was talking with a sponsee, Steve. I was like going, I, I don't know what it would look like. And he said, Don, it would look like you had surgery and you need to get to a meeting. <laughs> and it was perfectly a sponsee. <laughs> yeah, and because I was, you know, it was ego. Yeah. I didn't want to be sick. And I would be moving slow. When I got to sobriety, I was incapable of caring for myself. AA kind of held me together through that period. And I, I don't think I would have been able to survive this surgery without the relationship that I have with my wife, without her help and support through this process. I can't imagine what it would have been like to be incapable of doing anything for two weeks. And then through the recovery process and chemotherapy also for a year, I just, I don't know how I would have been able to survive, but I'm grateful for that. Well, this has been a great discussion. I hope it helps somebody. If you're sober long enough, you're going to end up with medical difficulties. <laughs> it's going to happen. Yeah. Well, Dying most likely. I mean, there are still Mack trucks out on the road. But <laughs> and, uh, and you can really get you can really get through anything sober. Yeah, you know, I, mm -hmm. I think one of the big things um, for me in this too, uh, and, and it harkens back to when I started over as well. Um, when I was sitting down with with two friends uh, in recovery, talking about starting over, and one of them expressed concern to me that night, saying, "Sam, I'm really worried that this starting over will send you out." And the thought of drinking did not occur to me. The thought, I mean, what better excuse did I need? I'm starting over anyway. I might as well go get plastered. And it didn't even hit me. And that's because I have recovered. I have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. I have a connection with a higher power. And even when I fucked up, I still had it. Going through this as well, I have had that. While I didn't use my pain medication with aloofness. I wasn't not unrespecting of it. I did use it, and I used it the way I was directed to, and I did use it without fear. 
And you, t- you, you talk to people, and I talk to you about it. You talk to me about it. You yeah. talk to your sponsor about it. And because of what I've learned in these rooms and employing the tools that I've learned in these rooms and what I've gotten from the use of those tools, I knew I was going to be okay going through this. The, the, the part of the sensitivity that we talked about earlier, that I talked about earlier, regarding our, our fear, I think, of, of abusing prescription drugs has to do with a lot of the current conversation that goes on regarding opioid uh, opioid epidemic and mm-hmm. opi- opioid addiction. And we, I have a family member who is going through that and has been for the past four or five years. And it started as a pain medication and continued as a, a pain medication. And it becomes, in a lot of ways, kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. The more you use pain medication or abuse pain medication, it becomes a source of the pain itself as you start to go through the withdrawal process. It's a horrible problem in society today. And I'm, I'm grateful that in Alcoholics Anonymous, we can talk about those things now. When I first got sober, there was a guy who stood, because I used to introduce myself as an addict and alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And there was a guy who stood up, you know, this is a long time ago now, and said, well, this is an AA program. We're not supposed to talk about drugs in here. You know what? Drugs are a part of our lives, either prescription drugs, medication, or what we're talking about today with with pain medication. And I think it is appropriate and necessary for us to talk about it because otherwise you'll wind up, I'm afraid, wind up in the same situation I was when I had my tonsils out 25 years ago where I was, oh my God, I don't want to talk to that guy. He's using pain meds. I think this is a really good thing for us to talk about it and to try to relate to it how it affects our sobriety and how our sobriety affects it as well, the use of it. I wholeheartedly agree. And I just, you know, because I always have to do this. Drugs are first mentioned in Alcoholics Anonymous, the big book, on page seven. That early in the book. And they're mentioned many more times in it. Drugs are part of this program. There's, there's a meeting in Charlotte that if you mention drugs, they will throw you out. I spoke at that meeting one time, and they, they told me ahead of time, make sure you don't ever, don't mention drugs at all, because, oh, people really take offense to it. I'm sorry. You know what? This is a recovery for me uh, uh, implies and affects a lot of things that have gone on in my life, and, and, uh, and this surgery and this, you know, I, maybe it's just I've, I've already dealt with one life-threatening disease. You know, <laughs> it wasn't as bad with the second one, but it certainly did have some effects that I hadn't expected when yeah. I went through it. Well, and it can lead to drinking. <laughs> and our primary purpose mm-hmm. is to help the still-suffering alcoholic. Exactly. And it, if we don't talk about it, then uh, I know I, it would lead to me drinking. Blair, you got anything to add here we wrap yeah. up. Well, thanks so much for including me, and I hope even just one person finds this helpful and can relate to, you know, overcoming a health scare or whatever with working the program. Righto. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. I'm glad we all got to sit down and talk about this, even though I don't really like that we had to all have <laughs> go through what we did to get here. Yeah. <laughs> well, this has been The Boil Dow. <laughs> Surgery special! 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 That owl sounds high. That was- <laughs> <laughs>
Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit our website at boiledowlaa.org or email us at giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org. Please note Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of AA and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. Nice touch.